So what are you doing for Halloween? Um, probably go to my nan's house. This year I've got a smoke machine, so make a few more kids cry like I did last year. Welcome to the latest edition of Calling the Night Boys. Special scary edition, even if this goes out about the 10th of November. But, you know, we're just extending the whole Halloween season. It's uh, very much uh, in vogue at the moment. Yeah, exactly. Halloween seems to go on for six weeks now. Mm. Why do it on the 31st of October when you can do it on the 31st of January instead? And so today, um, I'm going to introduce Gav to Fear. Uh, they're actually an LA punk band, Fear. Are they? Yeah, from this... Early 80s, I think. Right, are they any good? I think they are quite good, yeah. Okay. I don't know them that well. Maybe you could introduce me to Fear in more than one podcast then. Okay. Right. Well, I'll play a little bit of Fear now. I want to talk about the chill down your spine, the hairs on the back of your neck, the slight arousal in your trouser. So I want to know, Gav, what scares you? What, sca- what scares me now or what used to scare me? Well, how about what scares you now, first of all? Oh, um, old age. Okay, yeah, that's fair enough. The prospect of death. Um, the rise of the far right. That's right. quite scary. Um, <laughs> they all link together, don't they? they old kind age, of, they the, kind ri- of rise of the far right. <laughs> also, um, people who say things like, if you've done nothing wrong, then you've got nothing to fear. Right, like William Hague. Yeah, I guess people. so. Um, David Blunkett. Anybody who likes handing over control over yeah. um, their everyday life yeah. to some kind of uh, centralised government yeah. function. If you are a law-abiding citizen of this country, going about your business and your personal life, you have nothing to fear. Uh, nothing to fear about the British state or intelligence agencies listening to your f- the contents of your phone calls or anything like that. Indeed, you'll never be aware of all the things those agencies are doing. No one's got anything to hide, have they? I no, mean, certainly not um, Conservative MPs. No. They've got nothing to hide. That's why they have offshore accounts. Old age, uh, mortality, mm. that scares you. Well, I suppose they're both linked in a way, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, obviously they're linked, but, uh, but it's, yeah. it's, sort of, it's not so much the prospect of your your end, but the process of approaching that end, which right. I think is what people increasingly... So you don't fear think death itself, you feel decrepitude. Well, feel I, decrepitude. Mm, yes, although obviously being middle-aged, mm. I do fear the onset of death right. uh, in the absence of any great achievements in my life. Yes. Um, so... I've got about two years before I need to buy a Porsche. Um, so I've got a lot of cram in, got quite a lot to cram in before. Man, then. we should have put this in the last podcast. <laughs> the way I see my lack of achievement is a bit like that take nothing but photos, leave nothing but footprints. So I've taken <laughs> live, a lot of laugh, love, eh, Nick? Yeah, exactly. Eat, pray, love, live, laugh, love. You've got to have that in um, big wooden letters on your windowsill yeah. or possibly on the wall of your house. Yeah. But I have to say, when I was. Um, when I was a kid, the things that scared me um, are obviously much less terrifying now, but um, they seemed a bit more 
sensible to be scared of things like zombies and werewolves and you know why is that more sensible um because they're inherently scary whereas getting old isn't inherently scary it's just that we uh i think we spend too much time thinking about what getting old means that's interesting because it that's the thing. I don't really get scared by monsters in movies or books, mm. particularly movies. I just don't. Well, I don't. I don't now. I think I did when I was. I think I did when I was, I was nine. Kid. Yeah, but I don't now. No. That said, I still um, have something of an aversion to deep water, thanks to <laughs> Jaws, and same here. Yeah. Also to crossing moorland late at night. Thanks, Thanks to, to the American Wolf oh, in London. Yes. And American Wolf in London, I should say. Have uh, you ever been to the Slaughtered Lamb? Uh, I have, but it's actually... Uh, the only one I know is a gig pub in uh, Clerkenwell in London. Right. Uh, which is not very much like the Slaughtered no. Lamb in that movie. It's scary in a different way. Well, it's it's scary if you want to get a drink quickly. Uh, <laughs> because it's the bar staff are generally of the too-cool-for-school variety. Yeah who look at anyone over the age of about 28 and go, no, I'm not going to serve you. Beware the moon, lads. Horror um, is a spectacle, whereas terror is a, you know, very um, subjective and personal feeling. So, you know, about something that might happen to you. So um, you might feel terrified by a horror movie. But, you know... uh, about terrorists, the reason they're called they're terrorists because they're attacking people and you feel your personal safety is at risk mm. rather than... They're not horrorists. A horrorist sounds like some sort of Victorian empresario. Yeah, exactly. Um, who, who puts on a special horror show. Yes. Uh, um, yeah. So, yeah, that's interesting. So th- when you're watching um, a horror film or a scary film... Yeah. Um, you're well, you're not horrified. Actually, you're not necessarily experiencing fear. You're just entering into the spectacle with um, your sort of emotional response. I think um, so. Yeah, mirroring the the kind of uh, the spectacle yeah. spectacle that is being offered to you at the time. But it's it's not the same as real terror or real. No, fear. I don't think so because I think real terror is something very difficult to control, and is, say, like a terrorist incident, you just don't know what the hell's going on. And there's something kind of baffling and confusing about it. Mm. Um, and, you know, like a phobia, maybe like a phobia, like arachnophobia, you kind of just have this enormous physiological and emotional and subjective reaction to spiders that is kind of beyond your control. So it's a reaction to events that are both unpredictable and beyond beyond your control, um, and which are terrifying because um, because of those two things. Whereas with, with something like a um, a suspense thriller or um, a horror film, actually there are sort of certain tropes which makes them quite predictable. There even is to, yeah. even to the point when you you probably know when you're about to approach a jumpy bit. But you still react yeah. in in the way um, that you're intended to act. Yes, and it's almost That's like you're complicit in the. Uh, I think you are. I think there's something. There's some. You're led along by the storytelling. You're led along by the certain tropes. You know, the haunted house, the castle, the uh, the monster in the cupboard, or what ha- what have you. Um, um, let's talk about some of those tropes 
because mm. you've picked. I think you've picked out. Well, between us, we've picked out a few mm. well-known titles, mm. films as well as books, but I think largely films. Um, mm. where, where do you want to start? Should we talk about the the supernatural first? Okay. Um, in the form of which ones are those? <laughs> <laughs> well, I I was thinking of Rosemary's Baby. Okay, no, that's um, great. It's one of my favourite. Films, in fact. Oh, that's nice. Where is it? There's a TV room? Uh, well, only temporarily. It's going to be a nursery. Oh, you're pregnant? No, not yet. I hope to be as soon as we're settled. Wonderful. Well, you're young and healthy. I have lots of children. Uh, we plan to have three. I didn't see what you did to this apartment. The woman I had it before was a dear friend of mine. How would you describe Rosemary's Baby as a horror film? Would you describe it as a horror film? Yes, um, I think so. What a, um, it's it's horror because it's the horror of being utterly betrayed and deceived, isn't it? As in uh, betrayed by your loved ones. Yeah, by your loved ones, by yeah. your neighbours. And there's, that's there's what's a, horrifying about it, I think. There's something of a, a sort of a Me Too generation moment um, where her husband refers to having intercourse with his wife when she was semi-conscious. Or even asleep, I think. Yes. And he refers to it as being a bit like necrophilia, as though it's something of a jape. Um, well, you know, and it was brushed off. Um, but I think both I- Ira Levin and Polanski intended it to be rather chilling. Because mm. we know what's happened. We've seen what's happened anyway. Yeah. yeah. Well, it has, par- it ha- has parallels, because there's a you know, kind of large element of paranoia, and it has parallels with other paranoia films which you might describe as horror films i suppose like um for example desperately looking at his notes well the thing about yes that's true because it is her paranoia about what's happened to her what's happening to her how she's not being listened to in that film yeah particularly by john casavetes who plays her husband um which puts me in mind of things like um Invasion of Body Snatchers, right? Uh, which also has that theme of this dwindling number of people who would listen to you, believe what you say. Yeah, the, 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 they have a theme of, yeah, there's fewer and fewer people because in Rosemary's Baby, her friend, the uh, who writes adventure novels for boys, is murdered. I forget, Hutch, his name is. Hmm. Um, and, you know, more and more of her friends are kind of forced out of her orbit by the um, the neighbours. And then in Invasion of the Body Snatchers, um, I mean, obviously they're quite different films, mm. but they both deal with paranoia. They're both about kind of no way out, that you're kind of, you can't quite um, see a way out of this. You know, there's a horrible scene in Rosemary's Baby where she finally goes to see her old doctor and feels secure, and then but then they come back and get her. And um, um, whereas in Invasion of the Body Snatchers, obviously, you know, it's this wild sci fi idea that you will literally be replaced, and the people that you used to know and love aren't are strangers to you, mm. whether that whether that's because they're capital um, communists or rampant capitalists. Is up to your own interpretation. Well, they, I uh, mean, the original film um, seemed to be very much about uh, the communist fear, and it's it has yeah. an extra layer of uh, 
chill to it in that respect, in that it r- reflects a rampant paranoia in the States at that time. That's which, right. Which kind of took over the public consciousness. I think with first, a yeah. deleterious effect upon civil liberties and... Um, well, yeah, I mean, when, when, when did it come out? 56 or something? The original? Yeah, it was late 50s, I think. So yeah. that's after, just after McCarthy. Mm. So that's the thing. So later at the time, everybody thought, oh, this is an anti-communist parable. Yeah. And then some time later, people were reassessing it and saying, well, no, actually, this could be anti-communist, but it's also a parable about 1950s conformity and... Mm the new American future and capitalism and, you know, um, everyone just acting the same, the sort Mm. of thing that you get um, critiqued in Douglas Sirk movies. Right. Um, But um, I like like that one very much, but I particularly like the uh, remake. The 78 uh, version. With Leonard Nimoy and Donald Sutherland. Yeah. And... um, you see, that's a film that I, I remember when I first watched it, I did find genuinely scary. Yeah. Well, it's a commentary. That particular commentary is, is like we're ruining our environment, but we're also putting in, we're po- putting in poisons in our environment mm. in that film, the 78 Philip Kaufman version. But um, it also has the famous screams, which you don't have in the original one. Yeah, well, that's one of the most things mm. that I found really chilling about it when mm. I was 10 or 11 mm. or something. Um, and and there is that sort of that paranoia of not knowing if anybody, even your parent or your lover, is going to suddenly turn around and mm. point at you and start screaming. In yeah, that, in that manner of um, that's like a usual family unit, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> they turn around and point at you and start screaming. Yeah, but it's one of those things. It is. It's like Rosemary's Baby, just in the point of view that you cannot trust anybody. What is that? A caper. No. Do you presume to tell us what is in this stock? It's a rat turd. A what? A rat turd. A caper. A rat turd. A caper. If it's a caper, eat it. Tell me about flypaper. Well, Flypaper is a story by Elizabeth Taylor. Not that Elizabeth Taylor. Right, I can see her as a writer of horror fiction. Well, I mean, obviously, um, I don't know, I could, actually. I mean, she knew enough people. I think she had enough experience in her life to write a lot of horror stories. Well, maybe, but they'd all be focused on uh, relationships with uh, Hollywood. So. Yeah, and Richard Burson in particular. Um now, this is the other Elizabeth Taylor who was a writer in the 40s, 50s and 60s, more or less. Um, so that kind of post-war, um, very kind of genteel English writer, but with a unnerving uh, undercurrent in her work. Um, so quite sub- subversive. So Flypaper is basically a story about uh, a girl coming back from a lesson I think it's a music lesson she's been somewhere and then this creepy old man starts talking to her on the bus she moves away from the creepy old man and uh, (laughs) there you go yeah (laughs) I've told this to Romy it's one of our bedtime stories right Uh, and then she starts and then she gets off the bus Oh no! Then this woman sits down with her and is very chatty, and she's she, so she hangs on to this woman, 
this quite old woman, gets off the bus and um, she says, look, you know, there's this creepy old man. She goes, oh, well, you know, come down this way. And, of course, they go to their home and she sits down and has a cup of tea with this old this this older woman. And then, lo and behold, who comes in but the creepy old man. Oh, and they've been playing off each other. Right. And it just ends there with the fact that she realises that she's been caught like fly in flypaper. Yeah. And it was a story, it was, a re- it was eventually turned, which I think you can see on YouTube, it was eventually turned into Tales of the Unexpected. Ah, oh, okay. And it, yeah, it's really good, it's really creepy. Going, going back to the sense of rather camp um, and uh, <laughs> slightly psychedelic <laughs> horror. <laughs> yeah, I, um, well, Roald Dahl obviously did a lot of those kind of Twisty, creepy stories as yes, well. Yes, yeah. Well, he um, wrote most of the scripts, I think. Yeah, uh, tells the unexpected, didn't he? Um, but uh, it, yeah, it's great because that's the thing: is this you? What you thought was a bit like in Rosemary's Baby, where she goes to see her old doctor. What you thought was salvation is actually your damnation. Mm. Which I, I think always. I mean, sometimes it's played too um, flip, uh, flippantly in a lot of things, but if it's done well, is is very effective. Yeah. Children that grew to look like this. Beautiful youngsters behind whose fiery hypnotic eyes lurked the demon forces of another world. They're not human. They ought to be destroyed. Forces put to such sinister use that it became a national emergency. Elliot. Hi. Romy. Hi. What really terrifies you? Clowns. Clowns? Why clowns? Um, because they look really, really creepy. Is that because of the It film? Not just it film, but he's not actually a clown. He's a like an alien, but he shapes shifts into a clown. Okay. Um, but they just look really creepy. Some people love clowns. I think they got a bad reputation. I do like clowns when they're funny, but mm. you know, if I was walking down a dark alleyway, mm, sure. Well, <coughs> even if it's a happy clown. Even if it's a happy clown, I'd be scared. In an alleyway. Yeah. I mean, if I saw someone in a happy animal suit, I'd be scared. Yeah, it's true. What about Mr. Tumble? Would you be scared of him? I'm more scared of Mr. Tumble than clowns. No, but a, cre- a, a creepy clown I'm scared of. Okay, let me rephrase that. I'm scared of killer clowns. Hey, hey! Romy, what really scares you? Spiders. <laughs> well, all spiders. I love spiders. Yeah, every spider. You love spiders? Mm-hmm. Why do you love them? I don't know. I think there's nothing wrong with them, in my opinion. They do a job, don't they? They get rid of all the flies. I mean, they they're a little bit weird, like all insects creep me out, but spiders, if I was in Australia or Africa and there were deadly spiders, then I'd be scared, but in England, I'm not scared of them. Uh, Remy? What? Why are you so scared of spiders? Because they're spiders. But what makes them so scared? The way they yeah. move? Can you dig a little deep? <laughs> Everything. I don't know what it is about them. I'm just scared of spiders. Is it the no. history of spiders? Have you ever had a nightmare about a spider? No. Has a spider ever bitten you? No. Has it crawled over your face? I had a spider on my head at a camping trip. I've been oh, bit okay. by a spider. What was it like? Like a mosquito bite. So, Romy, I seem to remember that we saw a bit of Lord of the Rings with a really big spider in it, and you didn't seem to mind that at all. Or Harry Potter. They're not real. Or Harry Potter, yeah, Harry Potter. Because they're not real. Right. And? Don't creep me out. You're bullying the spiders. 
What's well, the most scary scared thing. you've been in real life? Um, London Dungeons. Why, why was that so scary? Um, tell me what's not scary about lights going off when you're in a pub and then lights coming back on and a man is in your face with a knife. Now that sounds quite scary. In fact, Romy, I seem to remember that like you had know. to take a, a because holiday she got from scared the, of yeah. the queuing. <laughs> oh, it's too much suspense. I'm quite scared of queues, <laughs> to be honest. They really, really could I would bring up the it. tension. Hi, I'm Gail Locke McDowell, author of Cracking Coding Interview. Today we're going to talk about stacks and queues. Stacks and queues have a lot of things in common. They are both linear data structures in that you have one element and then another element and then another element. They are both flexible with their sizes, so you don't have to allocate initially them to have a size of like 50. You can just add elements as you go and, and then also shrink it down. The main difference comes in how elements are removed from the stack or from the queue. So think about a queue or a line of people waiting to get into a movie theater. When the movie theater doors open, they don't first serve the person who just hopped into the line five seconds ago. They serve the person who got in line at the very, very beginning, an hour or two ago. And then the next person, the next person, the very first person is the very first person. Another very simple idea, in that it could possibly be described as a haunted house horror film, except where the house is thousands of light years away in space, surrounded by a vacuum. Star Trek Beyond is Star Trek Beyond, is uh, is the first alien film. Intercepted a transmission of unknown origin. Transmission? Out here? SOS. Human? Unknown. Alien. Certificate X. Exclusive engagement at the Odeon Leicester Square. Now. Any systematized transmission indicating a possible intelligent origin must be investigated. In space. No one can hear you scream. This was the, when I was growing up, this is the only horror film I ever liked. Yeah, I think it's probably one of the best horror films yeah. I've seen. Um, I mean, it does have Ridley Scott as director, uh, which probably yeah. helps. And it has a fairly stellar cast. Possibly not at the time, but it, looking back. It had uh, Yefat Kota, who was, sure. um, came from uh, Larry Cohen. I think because it's actually quite, genuinely scary and, and mm. it's a it's a mixture of things it starts off with as i said sort of a haunted horror uh, haunted house in space mm. situation uh but in the form of an alien spacecraft crash landed mm. on a a moon or a planet somewhere that's been investigated by the crew of a uh, mm. of a ship that has been mysteriously diverted to this location mm. in order to investigate um is then followed by some fairly extreme body horror mm. in in the form of the famous chest bursting scene where another member of the stellar cast, John Hurt, mm. uh, succumbs to a rather grisly death mm. as the um, alien that has been implanted inside him makes its presence known and slithers away to hide itself in the bowels of the ship. Mm. And then it becomes slowly, uh, I think... Um, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of su kind of suspenseful um, interactions with this slowly growing alien. But the lead character, Ripley, played by... Sigourney Weaver. Sigourney Weaver. Um, is increasingly um, alone, mm. uh, more and mm. more alone in the ship as various members of the crew yeah. get picked off um, or uh, isolated. 
Um, so it becomes about that sort of fear of, of being being alone. Mm, absolutely. Um, and yeah, I mean, what I particularly like about this film, and why I don't really like any of the sequels, although some are better than others, is that it doesn't explain anything. Yeah. So they go to this planet. It is truly alien, the planet. They find this thing in a chair that's got nothing to do with the actual aliens that the alien that happens later. Some some giant uh, yeah. alien creature. Which Ridley Scott uh, thought best to do a backstory to mm. a few years ago in Prometheus. Terrible idea. And um, that uh, body is already fossilized. It's like an. So maybe it does go into the Lovecraft thing that it's a kind of ancient horror. It's something that completely is beyond your understanding. And. So it taps into things like the <laughs> the curse of Tutankhamun. You know, yeah, um, yeah, exactly. That it's kind of. Um, it's not. So this thing, you know, you think it's one thing and then it's the other thing mm. with John Hurt. And then you just don't know what's going on. It's kind of, it's it's so surprising. Yeah. And then another surprise happens later on in the film with Ian Holm. And that's the right, thing. Which, it's like, which is a, actually one of uh, the it, scariest scenes in the film. Yeah. Because it's, it's, it questions that whole idea of um, what is humanity, what makes mm. human beings human. Yeah. Um, and he has a very strange body. He only drinks milk and he spouts milk. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's seemingly emotionless. Yes, uh, he is. And he kind of... Um, but the other thing about it is that, again, it's about birth and how horrendous that is, because I think a birth is a distortion of the body. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, whether that's, again, Rosemary's Baby or this film. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's... It's a it's the most natural thing in the world, and yet it it, it can be, or it used to be, le- could be lethal. Yeah, and um, and pretty bloody, and pretty bloody, and twists you out of shape. <laughs> this time round, it's not women having to suffer that; it's John Hurt, mm. <laughs> just to really make us feel it <laughs> as men. And yeah, so I like the un the unknownness about it. I like its simplicity. In fact. I think she says, oh, you admire it, um, Sigourney Weaver, to in home. And in home says, I admire its purity. Which I think is a rather chilling line, but also perfect for the film, because the film is a kind of pure pure artifact to me. And the, the other films, some of them might have good bits about them, but they kind of, they fill in too much. Did you know that Led Zeppelin's Stairways to Heaven, what it says, really? Well, how do you mean? What, what Backmast. The, what, the, what the lyrics mean? Oh, okay. If you play the record backwards. Yeah. Do you know what it says? No. My Sweet Satan. Really? It's actually very prominent. And it's like, My Sweet Satan, it's in the tool shed. And apparently there's some tool shed in Scotland. I know this because I went to a party not so long ago. Okay. And this guy told me that he'd been to the tool shed in Scotland, somewhere in the Highlands, where apparently there was some sort of satanic rite. Okay. Well, let's hear this. Led Zeppelin. Let's hear it for ourselves. Okay. Okay. 
Do you have any particular favourites of Backmasking? Well, uh, I'm not sure if Black Sabbath got accused of this, but uh, I think they probably got accused of lots of other things to do with devil worshipping and um, you know polluting mm-hmm. the minds of young people. But I mean, the standout one is Judas Priest because um, famously in the court case that was brought against them for um, a quite clearly disturbed young guy who shot himself after listening to some of their music. I think also after taking lots of intoxicating substances, mm. but I could be wrong about that, um, is that, uh, yeah, in the court case, they, uh, as part of their evidence um, that they weren't involved in backmasking messages from Satan to turn young people uh, towards uh, mm. harming themselves, um, they presented some own the, some of their own examples of their records and bits that they'd drawn out of uh <laughs> playing them in reverse, some of which were just truly ridiculous. Right, um, like I think that pretty much made the case, and I can't remember, unfortunately. Like, I'm gonna have to can I it. make you a cup of tea? Uh, my favourite backmask track is uh, another one by The Dust by Queen, uh-huh. um, which is uh, Vanilla Ice's Ice Ice Baby. Right, okay. Ding. That's actually the backmask. For some reason, it was also number one. Yeah, yeah. And it's truly satanic. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, man, let's get out of here. Word to your mother. Ice, ice, baby. Actually, I think there is. They thought that it said uh, it's fun to smoke mar- marijuana. Is that right? Oh, really? <coughs> but that's that. the, what, what. What's well, the? Well, pr- you know, they're right. It's fun to smoke marijuana. What? What I? I mean, backmasking is quite interesting because it's. Um, it's one of those things, it's a moral panic mm. about something that people want to find a scapegoat. Yeah. Including apparently pro, you know, brainwashing kids through reverse tracks. Yeah. It's like, who, who it's came It's funny up it didn't that? come out um, when the Beatles recorded the, um, their eponymous album. Um, the White or, Album. Also known as the White, White Album, yeah. Um, which uh, I think Revolution Number Nine has a lot of uh, yeah, uh, it does, like yeah. reversed. Um, That's true. Dialogue and and music, yeah. um, but most of it is just gibberish. So uh, yeah. you know, I think people struggle to make anything out. Well, of it. I think that's the thing. It, like a lot of horror, it reflects the moral um, temperature of the times. Mm. So in the 80s, oh, there's all this horrible satanic metal music. There's also all this horrible rap. Now, I'm going to say something about rap that rap actually I did find quite scary at the beginning when I was about 10 or 9, because, but only because it seemed improper that they were talking over music rather right. than singing. I thought, that, that's just blown my mind, man. What are yeah. you doing? They're not playing by the rules, are they? Yeah. And I didn't understand it, and so therefore I feared it for a little while okay. when I was about nine or ten. Then you discovered Vanilla Ice, and it was all good. Well, then I discovered Vanilla Ice and sold my soul to Satan, Yeah, and uh, everything was fine. Um, now, I was sort of coming to terms with it by the late 80s. I mean, the, uh, the other thing about rock music, um, or music generally, and um, the supernatural and... Satan worship and all of that is much like many horror mm. films. Um, for bands like Black Sabbath, it was just a ridiculous bit of theatre. Yeah, um, absolutely. 
because four guys on stage playing instruments isn't necessarily that interesting. Uh, so they wanted to kind of camp it up a bit, I think. I've um, seen some very boring <laughs> bands with four guys playing instruments. I mean, it can be very exciting too, don't get me wrong. Yeah. But, you know, Pink Floyd, for example, I think one of the reasons they develop light shows and mm. um, massive sets and everything is because basically they all stand quite still. Um, is it not also because their music became more boring? <laughs> Well, Although they had light shows right at the beginning, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, that's right. I mean, they yeah. were famous for having kind yeah. of um, uh, slide projections and yeah. stuff. Uh, not slide projections. That makes it sound like they're showing their holiday snacks. <laughs> I uh, like that idea. They, those oil, um, oil light projections. Um, Here's Sid in Weymouth. <laughs> <laughs> Next to Roger. <laughs> they're already not getting on. Winning the knobbly knees competition. Yeah. Should we talk apocalypse? Okay, aside from being very young and being frightened about the idea of Dracula, mm. by the time I was about seven, the bogeyman, the monster in the cupboard, was not in the cupboard. It was the idea of mutually assured destruction. Mm. And one of the reasons why this was is that, first of all, it was in the news. The Soviet Union and America under Reagan were very belligerent with each other. A lot of saber-rattling. And then these films came along like Threads the day after. Mm. Uh, and Mad Max, obviously, a lot of more popular films played Threads on the idea. was a TV series, I think. Yeah, yeah. But quite short, uh, three or four episodes, something like that. No, I think yeah. it was a TV film. It was uh, like a play okay. for today. Right. Okay. I haven't seen it in a long time. Yeah. A bomb lands in Sheffield, or outside Sheffield, and yeah. everyone in Sheffield literally wets their pants. Right. And then gets blasted to pieces, and then the f- survivors just kind of crawl about and die. Yeah, and it was a bit shocking. Um, right. So, so no post-apocalypse in this. Just no, just, just pure apocalypse. apocalypse. <laughs> right. The only thing I remember about the day after is uh, it's got Jason Robards in. Okay. And Steve Gutenberg. Sounds great. Well, it was like the American version, so they kind of wiped off all the. Um, the dirt from threads yeah <laughs> actually it might have come up before but it's again J- it's a slightly J- jason robust does belligerence quite well I he think. does yeah apparently reagan did see the day after mm. in about 1984 okay after he'd massively increased the nuclear arsenal right and had saber rattled and apparently he did see it and think oh oh that's what it's like right so oh, the, the, I can't do his accent. The former actor who thought it'd be a good idea to be a president. Yeah. Um, which he did a fairly shocking job of. Um, well, saw, you know, it's all relative these days, isn't saw it? A, <laughs> saw a dramatic <laughs> reconstruction of what could actually happen and was persuaded by it. I well, I like think that. he was. Yeah, like exactly. The, there's something poetic about if that. He'd find, if he'd starred in some, you know... Better movies? Even B-movies about the end of the world when he was in, in the 1950s, he, instead of, like, about, you know, bedtime for Bonzo, then maybe he would have been all right. Yeah. 
Bonzo! Professor Boyd. Bonzo, that wasn't a nice thing to do. Bonzo! Don't scold him. He didn't mean it. Well, that's beside the point. Aggressiveness like that could become an aberration. Now, there are other forms of apocalypse, and I want to get on to uh, zombie apocalypse. Yeah. Uh, for many reasons. Why? One being that I was a little bit obsessed with zombie movies when I was a kid. Not okay. that I actually saw that many, but there was this legendary movie that, that I never actually saw when I was a kid because it was a video nasty and therefore very hard <laughs> to get hold of, um, which was known here as Zombie Flesh Eaters. Mm. But I, I think originally it was called Zombie 2 in uh, yeah. in Italy. It was a unofficial sequel to the sequel to Night of the Living Dead. It right. was an unofficial sequel to... Day of the Dead, yeah. which is this quite fun film about consumerism. Right, the George A. Romero yeah. film. Yeah. And that was quite successful, so the Italians as usual said, right, we're going to rip that off. Yeah, <laughs> And I think, is it Lucio Fulci? That's right, yeah. yeah. I've never actually seen it. I've just oh, seen actually, the bit. I thought you had. You talked so no. knowledgeably about it. No, I've always wanted it. to see it, but... I've seen the bit where the zombie eats the shark. Right, okay. The mo- <laughs> it was one of the most famous scenes, I think, in the film. Yeah. yeah. What I find interesting about zombie movies is um, the a zombie outbreak typically seems to follow some form of pandemic, Yeah. Um, which then initiates people dying and then turning into zombies, or it may involve some kind of supernatural mm. intervention. Um, but that concept is sort of has retained its currency. You had 28 Days Later and 28, yeah. 28 Weeks Later. Um, both films that I quite enjoyed. Um, yeah. The second one wasn't quite so good. Um, you're doing that kind of sort of, no, not really. Well, uh, <laughs> my problem with those films, like a lot of other post uh, sort of 21st century zombie films, is that the zombies are fast. Right. They should never be fast. Okay. Just a, it's just a thing I have. For me, zombies should be something else entirely. But well, anyway. the, I mean, there, there are other errors you can make. For example, in the, the, the long, very long-running Walking Dead series, um, the zombies are more uh, according to your specification. Mm. The only problem is that the humans are involved in some lengthy soap opera <laughs> relationship yeah. drama, which sort yeah, of detracts from episodes. the... <laughs> it was I, weird. That I keep watching it, but, but uh, at some time, at, at points you... You definitely want some of the main characters to get killed off just so they can stop whining about... I think I watched some of the second series mm. and to begin I was quite enjoying it and then after about three episodes I realised mm. that this is basically home and away. Yeah. What, what's what's enticing about the whole idea of zombie apocalypse, if enticing is the word, is that it's, it's kind of a survivalist fantasy. Yeah, that's um, true. Yeah. Society reduced to the basics. Yeah. So as long as you've got kind of shelter, food, water, mm. maybe some medical supplies, the, the concept of not having uh, access to proper health care doesn't really bear thinking about. But you can kind of fudge that slightly by... Uh, having a few medical supplies. To be honest, that's how yeah. it, it is mostly an American thing, zombie apocalypse, and that's how most Americans live their life. Isn't it? They 
they have a few guns, they've got some supplies, sure, they yeah. have no access to adequate health care. They've got lots of bottled water. Yeah. Um, um, and, then, and then the process of um, protecting yourself against um, the vicissitudes of, of nature, mm. i.e. roaming zombies, just, it's kind of a bit like gardening. You just have to cut a few heads off occasionally. <laughs> you know. um, it's, 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 it's a fairly undemanding existence. So long as you've got the whole, uh, you know, crop rotation. That's thing true. You out. have to. You have you to be a good it. gardener. Yeah. yeah. If you just let the garden grow, then suddenly that's the idea behind the Romero things, is that they inundate you. So it's death creeping up while you're arguing about mm. race relations in the first one, right? So yeah. In Night of the Living Dead, or consumerism in the second one, Day of the Dead, and. That's you know so you're 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 arguing about the the petty things in life, all the petty squabbles. Well, it's funny you should say that because I, I kind of feel like the last three years um, have have kind of been like the build up to a zombie apocalypse, and, <laughs> yeah. and Brexit when it finally arrives will will be the the yeah. real deal. Not on Halloween, thank God. There'll be lots of shambling, rambling uh, zombies wandering around. Who've all turned incredibly pink in the face, um, <laughs> <laughs> and society will have fallen apart, um, and they'll be subjected. They'll they'll be infected with this virus virus of rage and intolerance that will slowly slowly spread throughout the entire species. That's true. They probably will be more like the fast zombies of the later movies. I guess so, yeah. So they'll have a lot of rage and intolerance, whereas the original zombies, they just want to eat flesh, right? They're just there. It's just a personification of death. Anyway, wait for uh, mine and Nick's first movie, Zombie Apocalypse 2020, <laughs> colon Brexit. Yeah. Um, coming to theatres near you. Yeah. Not very soon. Colon no. Brexit. <laughs> <laughs> That's my favourite kind of Brexit. <laughs> I saw a werewolf with a Chinese menu in his hand Walking through the streets of Soho in the rain You've been listening to Call in the Night Boys with special guests Romy and Elliot and featuring clips from Don't Fear the Reaper by Blue Oyster Cult, I Love Living in the City by Fear, Law Abiding Citizen by William Hague, Steptoe and Son by Ron Gainier Orchestra, An American Werewolf in London by John Landis, Rosemary's Baby by Roman Polanski, Invasion of the Body Snatches by Philip Kaufman, Village of the Damned by Wolf Riller, Data Structures, Stacks and Cues by Gail Lackman McDowell, Halloween by John Carpenter, Alien by Ridley Scott, Stairway to Heaven by Led Zeppelin, Proud to be an American by Len Greenwood for the Republican Party in 1984, Bedtime for Bonzo by Fred de Cordova, The Walking Dead by Michelle McLaren, Who and Away by Mike Perjanic, and Werewolves of London by Warren Zevon. Legally stream or buy these films and music. And 
Quill. See you next time. Bye. He's the hairy-handed gent who ran amok in Kent. Lately he's been overheard in Mayfair. You better stay away from him. You'll rip your lungs out, Jim. I'd like to meet his tailor. with the queen.